Chapter 4 A quote relevant to Chapter 4 from Lewis Carroll, Alice in Wonderland. Would you please tell me which way I ought to go from here? asked Alice. Well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't much matter which way you go, said the cat. Rothswaite to Grasmere. Nine and a half miles, six hours walking. Things were looking up. Three days on the road, and still no blisters. The overnight downpour had left the oak tree below my window bejeweled and sparkling. Above, slivers of watery blue sky, veiled by dense low cloud, hinted at brighter things to come. Resumption of the fire-door thunderclaps signalled people were on the move. A new day had begun. When the crashing onslaught became too intolerable, I abandoned the room in search of a peaceful haven. Alone in the dining room, I waited for breakfast to begin. At precisely 8.30, my solitary meditation was abruptly curtailed. A Chinese gong sounded, not summoning the faithful to prayer, but residents to breakfast. An avalanche of the elderly shuffled forward from all directions. Judging by the immediacy of their appearance, they must have been hovering expectantly behind bedroom doors, awaiting Revalli. Good morning, to the right and left. Good morning, to the left and right. Good morning, straight ahead. Good morning, everywhere, to everybody, by everyone. It's been many years since I'd heard such a robust chorus of committed greeting before breakfast. Perhaps, as with Picasso in his later years, the elderly guests were singularly grateful to awake each day to enjoy bonus time beyond their allotted three score and ten. The amassed slithering of bedroom slippers on linoleum was a stark reminder that it wouldn't be too long before I also would be playing in extra time. The queue for cereals and stewed fruit was patient and affable. Good-natured cricket banter was bold and caught, a reminder that the England-Australia Test match was entering the final and crucial stage, the fifth match and deciding confrontation. The atmosphere throughout breakfast was good-humoured and wonderfully 1950s. In an instant, the cordial hubbub crashed to a tense hush. Like Liberty Valance and his crazy sidekick bursting through the backwing doors into the saloon to eyeball the mob, two strangers stood in the dining-room doorway. All eyes followed the silhouetted figures as they swayed towards our table. It was the two Dutch girls delivering their oversized backpack, which Colleen had agreed to transport by car. Once the purpose of the intrusion was eavesdropped, considered and understood, a psychic reset connect was made, returning the tense silence to a senior's entente cordiale. On day three of the coast-to-coast trek, it's quite usual for walkers to undertake the strenuous 17-mile Rothswaite to Patterdale section. When planning our itinerary, Peter heeded Wainwright's advice and had broken the journey. He'd allowed for an overnight recuperative rest in Grasmere. By the time we were ready for off, the sky had cleared to a washed-out blue, 
and sunlight glittered silver flashes on wet surfaces. It was ideal weather for walking. As usual, Colleen made sure we had our iron rations for the day. Nuts, fruit, oat cakes, and a small portion of cheddar cheese. The whirl of Colleen's camera's shutter signalled the start of the next day's adventure. Soon we were in open countryside, walking along a wide, stony cart track, bounded by dry stone walls. The track followed the fast-flowing Stonethwaite Beck upstream, along the wooded Borrowdale Valley. The air was alive with the crystal chimes and gurgling eddies of the skipping beck, its water swollen and excited by an overnight downpour. The walled-in car track gave way to an open-rising path, which soared 1,200 feet towards the rocky overhang of Eagle Craig. Occasionally, the going was made easier by a series of steps cut into the hillside. All around were sheep, stone walls, rocky outcrops, thin soil, and the ever-present sound of running water cascading down the mountainside. Often the path was a stony rivulet, with runoff gushing around large boulders that doubled as stepping stones. Everything that could be was damp and soft. Everything else was wet rock or runoff. The path, bordering the tumbling waters of Greenup Gill, led us ever higher onto the treeless mountainside. Looking back during the steep ascent, we were rewarded with an arresting panorama of Stonewaite Valley and Borrowdale spread out below. The mountain gave a wonderful sense of remoteness, which was interrupted periodically by the far-off growl of fast-moving military jets on training exercises and the dull thud of explosions as their practiced bombs found the target. On long climbs, hikers tend to bunch together, causing trekker congestion, which could make progress noisy, tedious and slow. During the ascent, we got trapped into one such parade. Amongst the group was an aged member of West Australian squatocracy, who cornered Peter and me in separate ear-bending encounters. This self-styled patriarch, with his crusty-lidded, snake-eyed gaze, harangued us ceaselessly with his opinions and life story. In the space of a few minutes, we learned of his club memberships, his directorships, and his life's achievements, important people he'd met and befriended, and most importantly, what he could get on the cheap, or better still, free. During the entire tirade, he didn't blink once until a topic of cricket was raised, at which time his self-absorption was instantly forgotten. The palms, white and the visitors, open batsmen, the flinty-eyed, clever clogs complained, and they'll rip the ashes from their rightful owners down under. The spin bowlers below the belt injury resulted from intense foreplay and underhanded ball tampering by some pommy sheila, he continued. God forbid, but there may even be a touch of osteopubis. Such pre-match slippery sledging in the general groin area warrants a royal commission. Fair dinkum. During a momentary diversion, Peter and I upped the pace and managed to escape the droning tirade putting a buffering trumpet-proof space between us and our tormentors bugling. The distinctive appearance of this Western Australian Abraham made identification easy. His crown was a Foreign Legion-style cap, with a flap at the back to protect his neck from the sun or a surprise axe attack. Not satisfied with one walking stick, he used two 
in an idiosyncratic fashion. He leaned forward on the sticks, with his back parallel to the ground, and his head thrown back looking forward. When moving across the ground, and believe you me he could move fast, he lurched forward like a gangly spider that was four legs short of nature's dictates. At an altitude of about fifteen hundred feet, we came upon an elderly gentleman resting on a grassy verge sheltered beneath a sheer rock face that formed the lower buttress of Eagle Craig. He was enjoying the long view across the rugged mountain tops whilst boiling the billy and listening to the cricket on the wireless. Excuse me, he called in a warm English brogue. Do you know if the group trailing behind uh, includes the Australians? Yes, but you're too late to avoid them, I joked. Ah, that's not my intention, he replied in a voice brimming with mischief. I wish to bring them up to date with the latest test match score which I feel sure they need to know. I've decided to tell them Australia suffered a disastrous batting collapse. At six for eighty-seven, he chuckled, looking up with a twinkle in both eyes. Of course it's utter tommy rot. In actual fact, Australia is batting dangerously well. In reality, England had been dismissed for a respectable but none-too-secure score. Australia was batting and still very much in contention to retain the ashes. I believe the Australians are highly complimentary about the English sense of humour. My little ruse may test the veracity of that claim whilst making them pull their chins in and stick their chests out at one and the same time. The high-altitude joker sang out as we disappeared from sight behind a mound of fractured boulders. A small party of trampers was transfixed on the rim of Gaia's theatre in the round. A half-mile-wide bowl-shaped crater at our feet was peppered with the intriguing geological oddity of conical mounds known by their Gallic name as drumlins. Because of their perfect uniformity and engaging form, one could be forgiven for mistaking the pea-green cones for a recent work by the naturalistic outdoor artist Andy Goldsworthy, rather than the glacial debris left over from the last ice age, which is what they are. The path followed the contour around the rim of the basin in which the gigantic natural sculpture is set, before crossing the prairie towards the towering heights of Lining Crag beyond. Once at the top, the big sky and all-round views justified the scrambling ascent up a steep stony gully. On a clear day, Scarfell Pike, which is England's highest mountain, could be seen from Lining Craig, and I'm sure, on that day, had we known where to look, we could have seen it also.